Hey, this is Moj, and this is A Touch of Truth with Jackie Cooper. Touch of Truth with Jackie Cooper, the Senior Advisor and Chief Brand Officer at Edelman. With over 35 years of business experience in brand, creative, and personalized strategy. On Touch of Truth, you'll find wisdom from some of the most respected, trusted, and successful people on the planet. And it might just make you a little more successful and a lot happier. Hello and welcome, Moj Madeira, to A Touch of Truth. I'm so excited that we're going to be able to talk actually about you mostly as a, a founder, a professional investor, an entrepreneur. You know so much that is changing business around digital, e-commerce, social commerce, technology, how to be a woman in business and kick ass and talk about finance and how we can show up and be our better selves, right? So are you excited to come and tell the world your secrets on A Touch of Truth? I, I'm excited to tell you my secrets because I know you and trust you. And I'm so curious to see how this chat goes because we know each other so well and in like an intimate way. So you've seen me in rare form. So it's exciting. I have. I have. I have. I'm so excited. Let's go for it. Welcome to A Touch of Truth. Hello, Honesty. How are you right now? At this time, in this place, in your life, business, and personal. So we're kicking off with just checking in and checking in to say, how are you right now, in this time, in this place, business, personal? How are you, Moj? How am I? Um, I think I'm. Oof, I'm really um, trying to take things very slow. I'm trying to be hyper aware of how I feel in the moment about most things I choose to say yes to. Um, I, I think coming out of light speed um, and into the pandemic, which was like moving through sludge because I had really drank the Kool-Aid of hustle culture. I had drank the Kool-Aid of six hours of sleep and six day work weeks. And so hyper speeding out of that lifestyle into um, a deep kind of almost like sci-fi version of sludge for me, which, which um, if every single thing, not every single thing, but like all the things that I worried and was terrified of happening kind of happened. And it's a really weird thing when those things happen to you and at the same time, you commit to a ton of work on yourself. You kind of come out of it, not trying to go back to who you were, but like a brand new version of you, um, which is I'm really um, hypersensitive to my how I would say sensitive I am, um, how I'm a lot more introverted than I used to be. I'm a lot more quiet than I used to be. My circles are a lot smaller I'm less interested in things that used to interest me. Um, my I've I've become an, like I was always an empath, but I think it's now like on ten. Um, so that's how my insides are doing. Um, I've chosen to prioritize my family, my mental health, uh, my spiritual health, um, how to be a good spouse. Um, and then on a professional level, I'm in a totally new job in a totally new sector. 
um, doing what I always love to do, but I'm also taking that really slow too. So I'm, it's funny. I'm ambitious in a very different type of way. Um, and it's kind of terrifying when you give up using a lot of the skill set that got you to where you're at in the, your life and you've decided to switch over and use new muscles that are younger and less developed. Um, but I'm like really trying to develop these new muscles um, and I'm thinking about my life in like seven year increments and not like two year increments. Um, so on some level, I guess I'm giving myself permission to go slow. That's amazing because you were at the forefront of the multitasking, multi-business, get it done yesterday. And you were, you, you, you were the first person that I actually saw embody that word hustle at a time when suddenly people were being sort of multi-hyphenate and you established Beautycon out of nowhere. It blew up. It went everywhere. It was around the world. You were managing content creators, makeup companies, makeup artists and everything under one roof and a a massive experience of an industry that had never kind of shown up in that way before that almost sort of theatrical exhibition of the makeup industry and all that was in it and everyone flooded to that and you you weren't sleeping I'm not sure that I'm not sure I ever heard you getting seven hours sleep that seemed like (laughs) excessive no um and you were hustling 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 and everyone wanted to be part of that and do you feel more confident doing it slower? Because I I went through something similar where everything I thought had to be sort of high octane, but actually it feels that I'm more confident if I do it slower. Somehow it seems to be stronger if it's slower. I think it is stronger if it's slower. I think, you know, if you're like people like us, entrepreneurs and builders often come from a certain bedrock of like trauma that has them attracted to high octane adrenaline situations. Um, You know, being a founder, being in charge, being a leader is very much like, you know, you're, you know, you're jumping out of planes, you're doing insane stuff, you're doing stuff that like everyone tells you not to do. Um, And somehow, you know, I, I think someone said to me like, oh, like such and such is, they're so they're so they're so egotistical and I'm like well to just even be that person to open a new restaurant to put out a cookbook to lead a business to open up a new division to found a new company like you have to be a little bit self-indulgent but I don't think that you can I think you lose a lot of joy when you lose the the tenets of like kind of self-care and I definitely think for sure by the end of 2019 I think I was Afraid. I was really afraid. And I remember oddly praying that something would happen that would give me wow. a break. I think at some point I was like praying that like, like not to say I was wishing I would get sick, but like something that would just like push me completely into the corner and have like a real time out. I never, <laughs> I never thought that would be a global pandemic followed by you're very yeah. powerful mode because you brought the world to a standstill with that prayer <laughs> i i swear i swear on in december of 19 i said i just would do anything if the world would just stop so i could have a minute to collect myself because i left home at such a young age i left home at 16 and 
I've been on my own ever since then. And I have, you know, been financially independent since then. I've been emotionally independent. I have been um, psychologically independent. And I think when you, you know, that's a long time of running and building um, on your own. Um, And so I think by the time the pandemic hit, I was tired. (laughs) So I think I was kind of happy to put on sweats and like just be told like you cannot go on a plane for a year and a half. I've heard this from so many people, from so many people who realize that that kind of rat race thing where you can't even give yourself the moment to think and the timetable's dictating your life rather than you dictating your timetable. So I think it's going to be super interesting what comes out creatively and what comes out thoughtfully from all the people like you who had to stop and had to sort of reset because you've got the ex- you've had the experience of the sort of uber life and now you're going to be more thoughtful about about what you're doing how much is how much do you think you were rushing because you had so much to prove given where you came from and what you were trying to kind of achieve and trailblaze for people, for, for women, for gay women, for women who weren't expected to be in business? I mean, I think you I think I had put an enormous amount of pressure on myself to perform. And I think, look, I think venture is a loaded game. I think there's a timetable to it. I think people have investors they want to return capital to. I think, you know, I think if, and you know, I recently went to TED um, for the first time this year and so much of the conversation was organized around stakeholder capitalism and like, what does that mean? And if anything, over the past two and a half years, we've had an opportunity to think about who are the stakeholders within organizations. It's not just shareholders. It's not just management. It's employees. It's consumers. Um, it's your vendors. And I think, I think the culture was from a marketing and brand perspective headed towards that. But from a business operations perspective, um, it, it, it wasn't, it was not accounting for all of the various folks sitting around the table. And so, um, I think the pressure I put on myself was a hundred percent through the lens of I'm the only person I know like me. Um, who's in this position. And if I don't prove that it's a success, there might not be another me and I might not have another chance. And like I said, I think, <clears throat> you know, the, uh, it's the humility and, and humbling experience I've had over the past two and a half years is um, it's been, um, I mean, it's been like a movie. So, I mean, I could write like, multiple TV movies about what I've experienced um, um, given some of the personalities and people who are involved. And it's just, it's been a huge lesson in um, so many things. And most of it, I, to be super real with you, I don't think I've unpacked all of it yet. I think it's going to take me a long time to really unpack this. I don't think I can like spit out and say, here's, you know, I couldn't do like a medium article today and say, here's the five things I learned. I've learned a couple things that I for sure know. And the rest of it, I'm still debating. I think the fact that I'm even debating it is a huge change in me that I'm not rushing to like the outcome, but it's more the question of um, is, is there women's equality? Is there gender equality? Can, you know, um, 
I recently last year had top surgery. So I, I've really been exploring myself and through a non-binary lens and, you know, I've always been somewhere between genders and expressions and, you know, like just trying to think through what are we really trying to work towards? What are we trying to get to? Um, and can it be achieved through business and, and capitalism? Or is it a function of family and faith and love and spirituality? And I know I sound very like, but I have all of these questions. Like you could put a zillion women as publicly traded CEOs and IPOs, but like, I just, I think there's bigger questions in society to answer yeah. right now. At least for us as Americans. Definitely in the States. But I mean, the world's so broken. Yeah. And I think one of the... And, and we've been given yeah. permission to all talk about how much the world's broken because we've all gone through a pandemic together and then there's war and there's all this other stuff. And suddenly the people who haven't been able to speak are able to speak a little bit more. I mean, the, the tragedy has unleashed people being able to speak. The murder of George Floyd allowed people to speak through the worst circumstances imaginable but now we're speaking we can't be told to be quiet and so I think that's going to be an amazing shift but you know I was told actually by my osteopath many years ago we're not we're not humans having spiritual experiences we're actually spiritual beings looking for human experiences and I think that's kind of sits very much on what you're talking about is you could do all of the tick box stuff but it wasn't it wasn't feeding you and doing so so hugely successful merge and hugely impactful but not rocking it for your world the truth test a few questions on truth from a self human and brand perspective Moj, here we get to the touch of truth test, where we have the same three questions that I'm actually asking of everybody, because I just think it's really interesting to be able to compare and contrast, especially when it's people like you who had so many experiences and met so many people. And my first question is, what do you think is the biggest gamble that you've ever taken in your life? The biggest gamble I've ever taken in my life, I think for sure, at least as it well, there's two big gambles that come to mind. One is the day that I threw everything in a trash bag and left my parents' house. <laughs> I think that was fucking insane. When I think about my four-year-old son and I think that there's a world in where in 12 years from now, he could do that. And I think about how young he is and I think about how young he will be at that age. And, you know, I, I, I think, you know, when I hold him and hug him all the time, I tell him like, no matter what, I will always be behind you. I have your back no matter what. And I think, you know, at that point, nobody had my back and I had my own back. And that was kind of, insane because who was I to have my own back I was nobody I had nothing I had I think I had <laughs> maybe six cans of tuna fish and like some socks and two pairs of pants and Doc Martens and a bunch of records and CDs and you know I, I I'm 100% positive I left that house with not even $10 to my name 
At what point did you think maybe this, like when you you leave and you shut the door and you walk, how do you know where to go when you leave that house? Where, how did you know where to go and what was going on in your head as you walk, as you went sort of further and further away from everything you'd known? <clears throat> I went, I slept in my friend's cars, you know, and would take showers in their homes in the mornings when their parents would go to work. And I loved school and I wanted to be a great student. Um, so I still went to high school. And, you know, at some point uh, that sort of started to fade away and I realized I needed to get a job. Um, so I worked at a thrift store. I worked at a coffee shop. Uh, I worked at a diesel store. And... I uh, took eventually got my GED and enrolled in junior college. And I don't know, I don't, I don't, <clears throat> I think the only thing I had at that time that gave me confidence to do those things was Nirvana records, Radiohead records, the Smiths, the cure. Um, I mean, I was listening to a lot of spiritualized and the verve and I don't know it was music music somehow gave me confidence that like maybe Freddie Mercury gave me confidence that like there was a world for me that there was a place that I belonged and I think art and music and maybe that's why I love culture so much it's always been the only thing that's mm. given me complete comfort in the world that like I belong here because if, if for someone like me the place that you see yourself the most expressed is like through music and art um, and so, you know, if you see a David Bowie or Freddie Mercury, you're like, oh, like people like me do exist and we're somewhere out there. And so that, and then I think like as an adult, I think having, you know, listen, having top surgery in your early forties is like a fucking crazy thing to do. Like, it's just a complete, like telling people, you know, sharing your experience of it. I mean, that's, you know, and I think. Some, when I think about why I loved BeautyCon so much, why I was able to pour myself into it is because maybe it was the only place I'd ever felt really safe. Um, maybe it was the only place I'd ever seen an audience that looked like a world that I'd want to live in that was so multicultural, inclusive of age and gender and disabilities and languages. And, and, and I think, um, when I, when it, when the music stopped there, I realized that I was, really empty inside. I was missing that feeling. And it wasn't just my job. It was, it was an experience. And I think I look at all those kids who have so much confidence who attended BeautyCon and helped grow BeautyCon and they were just brave. And I realized that I was not as brave as they were and that I wanted to be brave. And maybe the fraud in my life had been that I was not brave enough even though so many people think I've been so bold and so out there, um, maybe there was still something left to share that I hadn't shared. And so I don't know. I think this was kind of shocking to me on every level because it's not something I ever thought I'd do. And I had so much judgment actually for people. Um, like I had a lot of self-hatred and judgment around it. So I, I think those are kind of the two things, but for sure, Putting that stuff in that trash bag, I remember it very vividly because it was a it's black, amazing, isn't it? Because trash bag. That is like the sliding doors moment, right? Like the sliding doors moment to come out and and set your own path. And you you've definitely set your own path. And 
you have been brave. And actually, the thing I learned from what I loved about BeautyCon is that I wasn't really understanding the explosion of YouTube properly until I got involved with BeautyCon because then I thought, this is amazing. This is people who are making stars out of themselves kind of unintentionally, but just because they're coming on to YouTube saying what they want to say, being who they want to be, a beautifully made up guy who did make up better than anyone I've ever seen in my life could actually be proud and come into Beautycon and show and teach and be applauded, which was such an extraordinary journey from him being in his bedroom thinking, well, this is kind of strange and no one's going to think this is cool. I think you liberated so many people from their screens with Beautycon. And then so many people learned what's really going on, what is really going on in people's minds, what's really going on in communities that maybe we don't see. And it was kind of before its time, actually. I think if we did this again, it would be it would be a really interesting experience. I'm going to ask you my second question. What's the worst meeting you've ever been in? <laughs> God, there are so many. Wow. I know. <laughs> All of those investor meetings, God, right? Jackie, How many of so those? Many. <laughs> those were, I mean, I definitely think, you know, I, look, I am grateful that we're in a different time and place now where there are so many people that are looking to fund women and non-binary people and people of color. I, um, you know, we were a few years before that. Um, yeah, I think people... You know, like you deal with rudeness on a level that's like soul crushing and bone crushing. And it's it's not just demeaning for me, but it's demeaning for every every single woman who was on my cap table uh, was it was it was uh, it's just challenging. I think um, I think that people say things to you in private quarters and closed doors that they would never want anyone to hear publicly. But the way that people can talk to you when they think that you're not from a certain pedigree or a certain world, and even if you are from a certain pedigree and world, um, I've just seen terrible, terrible, terrible things happen to minorities and women within sort of uh, entrepreneurial experiences where you're just talked to as if you are... Um, extremely replaceable as if you're not an original thought and idea and that your contributions are uh, not appreciated and celebrated. Um, and I think, I think that's, I think for a lot of minorities, you know, they're highly demoralized within those, you know, um, within those professional experiences. And I think it's not just in startups. I think it's within leadership. And, you know, I think in general, a lot of, people who are forcing their way through the sort of grass glass ceiling are, um, you know, I think people are now starting to talk about the mental anguish of like microaggressions and uh, the subtleties, the ways in which you're alienated from rooms and conversations. Um, you know, I think these things can make you potentially mentally unwell if you don't have a strong uh, mental health hygiene and spiritual hygiene and self-care hygiene. So yes, I've had, I would say my investor meetings were by far the most challenging experience of my 
career, which has oddly become also a teaching opportunity and a learning opportunity um, and has fueled me to now operate a little differently, um, a lot differently. Um, and also there's some great things I learned from them, um, in terms of application, but there's some great things I learned from them about a way of being that I most definitely never want to be. So, yeah. And what, what do you, would you do now if someone acted like that to you now, what would you just aware of people listening? Like how would you manage a kind of that implicit put down how that kind of info, you know, when people infer that you're not good enough, how would you manage that now? I think rather than get angry or frustrated, I think I try to offer people a little bit of grace now to say like, look, I don't think you're trying to come across this way, but this is really hurting my feelings and it's making me feel like I can't bring my full self to my job. And I'm feeling um, unsafe in this environment. And I'm just kind of honest in a way that like, I cannot imagine those words coming out of my mouth four or five years ago. Like, I think I would have said, I'm Moj and I'm tough enough to like brute my way through this. And I'm like, that was my brand. Like, I'm really strong and I can take anything. And people can say anything to me. And, you know, the heavyweights that I've dealt with are big boy heavyweights. I mean, we're talking like the heavyweights of the heavyweights. And, you know, people sometimes come up to me and they're like, hey, we heard you like, you know, had you've experienced a lot of intensities with some big and, and you know, I would say like I'm a lightweight and got in the ring with heavyweights. Um, but I don't think I would put myself through that again. I think I would say, I don't know if this is for me. Maybe it's not for you. And maybe this is the part where we pause and say, like, let's re visit whether or not this makes sense. I think um, forcing outcomes is not healthy. We, You and I have talked about this. There's ambition is a great thing until it becomes divisive to your mental stability. And I think, um, yeah, now I'm just kind of honest with people. I'm like, hey, I, I'm feeling uncomfortable. Right, and right. It's not just how they talk to me, but like, to anybody, right? Like if they're, you know, if they're in a room and they say something derogatory or microaggression or, you know, they say something about someone who's a new mom or so anything that I feel quite passionately about. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because I'm super sensitive and an empath and I've had to learn really how to put something in place between me and other people who might not have my best interests at heart. And I remember saying, actually to my husband, why well, I wish I wasn't so sensitive. And he said, that's a terrible thing to wish because that's who you are and you've got an antennae for what's going on and don't wish what you're not. But it took me a long time to understand. Now I would just say, I, I'm not, I would also speak up because I think also as you get older, you think, well, what have I got to lose? I haven't got anything to lose. I don't need you so much that I'm going to lay myself and everything I believe on the line and I'll I'll speak up. And I remember when I was quite young going to a client that was going through a crisis and a load of investors and corporate people involved and I was the brand person, which immediately put me in the lightweight category in their eyes. And this had been going on, this crisis for the week and then over the weekend and I'd been on one call. Then I realised when I got into the office on the Monday morning that A, I was the only woman in the group and B, all the men had gone fishing and drinking whiskey on the Sunday and hadn't invited me. 
And they basically decided all of the strategy and all of the decisions on a boat, drunk with whiskey, fishing. And they needn't, I mean, okay, do I drink whiskey? No. Could I fish? Wouldn't know which end of a rod to hold. No jokes, please. But I don't, I didn't know that, and I didn't say anything. I just stood there like an idiot. And I really feel now, I look back, I would have absolutely called them out on it. And so this isn't right, but I didn't know what to say. And I took myself out of the business, which is still one of the things I think, oh my gosh, I, I, I shouldn't have done that. But I didn't have the tools to know how to address. So you learn with each of those bad things, you learn, okay, the next time I'm going to be better. The next time I'm going to, I'm going to stand up and be counted. And you should feel uncomfortable about that, not me, actually, because you're the one that's not behaving well, right? And I learned how to drink whiskey. Exactly. That's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly the message. So the perky thing, the perky question, the third question of the three Who's the best person you've ever met in real life? Not virtually, not on screen, but actually in a room, the best person you've ever met in real life. And best can be any kind of best. I mean, Neve, obviously my son, he's like hands <laughs> down the best. I mean, there's no one I know who's better. Um, I'm serious. He's like my guru. <clears throat> this kid is really my guru. He's really taught me a lot about myself. Um... I'm spoiled in the sense that I feel like I've had so I mean, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm very lucky that I'm very wealthy when it comes to the abundance of fantastic, brilliant, smart human beings. I mean, I, I know a lot of notable people, high profile people, I know a lot of people that are not as notable, but are also um, pivotal to lots of different things. Maybe the person that I've always looked up to that having chance to become so close to them and they were above and beyond my wildest expectations of how great they are for sure, I think is Hillary Clinton. Um, she's just an amazing human and great friend and someone who inspires me and is just so thoughtful and a great listener. Did you ever think, Moj, that as that young troubled person who left your parents house with your trash bag that you would one day have Hillary Clinton in your house drinking tea and talking about Neve. You know what's fucking weird? I always knew. I didn't know her, right? But I knew that when you're like a complicated person, you learn how to exist in lots of spaces. And I think I think you become attracted to other people who have overcome tremendous um, challenges. Yeah. I don't think I ever knew it, but I wished it. How's that? Does that make sense? I don't think I ever knew it, but I wished it and I wished it very hard. But I feel grateful that um, I grateful. I'm grateful to know and to be known, you know, Um by some amazing thinkers, you know? And and uh, so, yes, I would say that's one person that I'm always, like, better than I could have ever expected and cooler and just so much more of a vibe and interesting. And uh, I love that. Vision of truth. Can you see the future? Can you change the future now? Now. 
if you look at the, you know, if, if we look now to the the vision of truth of what's ahead of us, and given that you've had such an extraordinary time of reflection, and you're taking your time on what's next, what do you see for yourself ahead? If you think, and and you said you're thinking in like seven years, what do you see in seven years, and where do you think you, the world, and your place in it's going to play? I think the next seven years are going to be incredibly important that we all be very conscious of our decisions of what we do and who we spend our time with. Um, I do not think we ever go back to what life was back in February, end of February 2020. I don't think we ever go back to that. Um, I think from a global perspective, humans have definitely gotten the wake up call that there's something more important than the balance sheet in your assets and your bank account. Um, so how we spend our time is going to be the greatest expression of value on a, on a go forward basis. Um, things like blockchain, I think are definitely not going away. I think this level of, um, peer-to-peer transparency web two is was a great thing and it brought us creativity and commerce and content um but web three will bring us um community building on a whole different platform than and i think it's actually what the internet promised i actually think that's why people like me are so excited it's why you know people like me wanted to work at companies like napster and looked at what they were building at facebook and looked at original sort of web one was because this concept that like there was influence and commerce and capitalism democratized. Um, you know, I think blockchain delivers on all of that, whether it's in health and education. And, um, obviously right now you're seeing it primarily in art, um, and transactions, but I think it's, it's, it's like a, it's like a tool that I think is, you're still early days and I think it's going to be a radical transformation over the next seven years. And so it doesn't surprise me in the slightest that you see companies like Tiffany's doing, you know, collaborations with crypto punks and the apes. And I think as of this morning, Gucci's expecting or accepting, uh, um, ape coin as commerce. So none of these things are surprising to me. <clears throat> it's just as important as how many likes and comments you got a few years back. Um, and so what's what's coming next? I think health, wellness, I think CPG is about to go through a massive evolution again. Um, and then obviously one of the downfalls of some of what's going on right now is huge amounts of consolidation. Huge, huge, huge. So many baby brands, so many baby movements, so many baby platforms won't make it. And companies, huge companies with big balance sheet and large investor credit lines and the ability to go public and raise more capital, they're going to come in and you're going to probably see, I guess if I had to predict, you're going to see a bunch of new holding companies emerge that weren't here today or yesterday that go on to become your next big L'Oreal's and Unilever's and WPP's. And you're just going to see a whole new school of large conglomerates emerge because there's so many um, assets sitting out there and companies sitting out there. And, um, I mean, listen, the people who were wealthy pre pandemic got significantly more wealthy post 
and they have got to reinvest their capital. So I'm curious to see what Apple buys. I'm curious to see what Amazon buys. Um, I'm curious to see what direction people move in. But so, yeah, I think those are some of the things that I think will happen. And then I think this whole move of people leaving big cities, that's that's also, I think, um, not going to change. I think people now have learned, oh, I don't have to pay top tier rents and mortgages in New York, L.A., London, uh, you know, Seattle, San Francisco. I can live, you know, in Park City. I can live a few hours outside. I can live on a farm. I can live in the country. And I don't think you're going to see um, I don't think you're going to see uh, upper tier middle class fighting to live um, in the cities like we once were. And I think people like me are actively spending time looking at ranches, looking at farms, looking at living two, three hours outside of LA or two, three hours outside of New York. And, you know, even doing things like thinking about, do we move, move to Europe? And so I think migration, migration, and then obviously the obvious, obvious, obvious thing, which is we're all going to move to places that are a cooler temperature, have access to water because the climate crisis is real and we are officially, you know, hit that tipping point. And I think uh, for those who can, they're going to actively start looking at moving to places that have um, elements and environmental support to live a quality of life that they want to live um, without fires and droughts and heat, you know. So these are the things that I think the crisis of the planet and where we're at are so poignant for how we're going to have to frame our lives the next few years. I don't think we've ever been in a position where the outside forces that we've made, by the way, it's all our fault, right, are going to now affect so many people's decisions in so many ways, in so many areas of their lives. And we've just published, uh, we took to Cannes and, and, and continue to publish data on Gen Z. And the last report we just came out with was entitled The Cascade of Influence because Gen Z are influencing, unlike previous generations, every area in our life. They have such influence on media, such influence on obviously consumer trends and what we buy. But what's really fascinating is they also have such influence on how companies are behaving, how they find their supply chains, how they find their employees and treat their employees, how they show up with production, how they actually get, you know, uh, how they address all of the sustainable issues that Gen Z and the world now are asking for answers on. So we see also disappointment in the population generally saying, well, government and even NGOs aren't helping fix. We need companies, we need brands to step up and be the superpower and step into the place, right, where things are not happening fast enough because the clock is ticking and it feels like we're scrabbling much more for some control and some survival which is depressing but we do have enough companies and enough people with vision who can who can make a change right do you feel optimistic about what's possible to to address all of these issues or do you feel like it's challenging and kind of more doom orientated and people just are trying to protect themselves. I feel optimistic that for those who care and are passionate about these topics, we're more organized and we're communicating and talking to each other. And I, I, um, I think that people who are of common communities and ilks are thinking about 
you know, people are all the time like, hey, let's buy up, you know, let's all move to Portugal and buy a bunch of places there together. And I'm hearing a regular basis like we should raise our kids together. We should build a school. We should, you know, there's a lot of organizing around interests and thoughts and concepts. I think um, micro communities, micro communities are the new superpower. I mean, they've always been, but now they really are. Um, and I think that, am I optimistic? I am, I am hopeful. I'm hopeful and I am praying and I am meditating on positive outcomes. I'm also aware of more than I ever was of that. And that's, that's what was so interesting for me over the past year is that until we really move to stakeholder capitalism, where the interest of all of the stakeholders, which includes the people who make the stuff, the consumer who buys the stuff, the people who work at the companies, the management who manage the teams and the shareholders until everyone's aligned towards common value norms. Like what are the norms of this organization? Um, I don't, I think we're going to have a complicated time. You know, I think you're going to have, employee activism, vendor activism, you're going to have, I mean, try to fly around the world right now. Like, good luck getting your luggage. Good luck getting a hotel. Like, and that's because people have become officially, you know, disenfranchised to, to show up. And, um, at some point we're going to have to have a reconciliation of like, what is it that has you not showing up? Um, and what it is, is the quality of life isn't, isn't, you know, so that's, you know, I'm, I think Europe looks better and better to me every day because I think there's certain things that Europe just has figured out, which is just transportation, healthcare, education, right? Public safety. You know, I think these fundamentals are missing much of the world. And I think you're going to see a migration to places where those fundamentals are like, I know that America has been the hot place for a number of decades I have more friends who are relocating to Europe right now than ever because it's good healthcare, good schools, it's safe. Your kids are not going to be killed in school. Right. And at the end of the day, there is a common value around a certain lifestyle. And I think um, working an 80 hour yeah. work week, is just like we can't and you still can't cut it. Yeah. No, right? I mean, no, I've not, talked before. It's just not working. About the disappointment in that. America, the land of hope and dreams, that's, you know, shattered and tattered and staggering through so many crises. It's, it's, but then something better has to come out, right? I'm, I'm optimistic. I hope that out of all of the crises, something good comes out because more people have input into making it better. More people have input into being heard. I have to hope that that's going to make it better eventually. Touch of truth. A story that affirms a personal impact on the planet and people because of the truth they shared. Merge, do you have a story of a person who had impact on the planet because of something truthful that they shared or something truthful that they knew? I'm lucky in that I feel like I know a lot of people who have shared their truths at the cost of high cost to them and their families. Um, and they have changed, you know, industries in the way the world thinks. Um, I think I always consider myself incredibly lucky to be 
good friends with uh, Opal Tometi and Patrice Kalor, who, uh, along uh, Alicia, founded Black Lives Matter. Um, they've been my friends for a number of years and have influenced the way I think and uh, influenced the way I work and influenced my friendships and how I choose to spend my time. And uh, I always think about what they've given up as as humans, as moms, as sisters, as daughters, um, the constant um, magnifying glass they live under uh, to share the truth of their experiences and the things they were seeing and to advocate for the kind of work they do and the channels that work has opened up for many, many, many other activists. Um, you know, so much of the, so much of what gave me confidence to be the type of voice I was at BeautyCon, I would say first comes from my wife who, uh, you know, Roya and she's quite, honestly, the most brilliant person I've ever met. And I think she's the person who holds me to the highest level of integrity because of her background as an academic and as a scholar and someone who has studied gender and identity. Um, but yeah, I think about Patrice and, and Opal a lot because they um, have for the been in the public eye now for a number of years, having very difficult conversations. Um, and that's opened up conversations around gender, ethnicity, and pay equality. And, um, you know, I, I also think about my friend, um, Alok Manom, uh, who really talks about the gender binary and why is it that we're so um, obsessed with the concept of gender and how the concept, the obsession with gender keeps us more separated than together. And I'm doing a terrible job of explaining um, them and how they think about these things. But I think Gosh, I know a zillion million people who've just done things that that have just changed the world we live in and outcomes. And, you know, I think about Hugh from Global Citizen and I think about I just so many wonderful like being at the intersection of culture, entertainment, digital. You know, you get to meet these change makers who um, take their passions and their art and then somehow uh, weave in goodness and those are the people that are the most interesting to work with and rally around. And so those are some people that come to mind for me. I think they're brilliant examples and they <clears throat> come to mind and in your world because you do exactly the same thing. And in this interview, you've come, you know, in this conversation, you've come with your whole self and everything that you do, you come with your whole self and you're still identifying what that is, what is your whole self, right? So... Thank you for being so open today. I think whatever it is that you do next, you are going to kick it. And uh, I'm so excited to see what that might look like. And thank you so much. And thank you to your beautiful family for letting us take you out of the day and chat. And thank you for being so open. I adore you. I love you. Give my love to David and the girls. And I've learned a ton from you over these years. Um, I think you're incredibly graceful and I think you have an incredible way of leading and I find it so inspiring. So I was thrilled to get this invitation and extremely grateful. So I appreciate you having me. Thank you, Moj. Touch of Truth with Jackie Cooper. Follow us at Touch of Truth Pod.